Mansplaining is when a man feels the need to explain things to women that they already know or that they already should know. It's having that sense of superiority that only a man could know this or I would know better. I see this happen a lot in technical fields, technical, medical, engineering, where men assume women don't know as much as they do. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Did you know that you can bring ideas from Valley into your business? If you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans, you can discover Mindvalley's business offerings so you can bring personal and professional growth to the entire company. If you are the owner of a company, you know that if you invest in your employees' engagement, happiness, and learning, it'll help the bottom line and impact the business positively. And if you wish your company was bringing these kinds of products from Mindvalley Quests, Mindvalley Mentoring, and all the learnings to be a complete high-performance individual in every area of your life, then you definitely want to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans to see how we can get started with working with you. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and welcome to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I bring today is going to talk about a topic that I think needs to be spoken about so much more. We're talking about men, women in the workplace. And Dr. Lois Frankel has written over eight books who speak about women looking to speak up, stand out, get rich, make sure they understand what is the current ecosystem that is happening in corporate America, how they can navigate it, and what can we expect in the future as we have more women jump into the workplace and take these positions of power that will equalize the balance between men and women that certainly will make the world a better place and we all get to benefit about that. She is the president of the Corporate Coaching International and has spoken to clients such as Walt Disney, the World Bank, some Women's Summit in Indonesia, and so many more large companies really talking about why women need to speak up, stand out, get into the places that they can make big decisions to influence where the company is going so we can have more wisdom and more quality within the workplace. Dr. Lois Frankel, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Now, I know you have a new book that just came out talking about nice girls don't speak up or stand out. And I really want to start there because you have a book series that's all about labeling it as nice girls. And I want you to maybe give us an idea of where did the history of that label come from and what impact has it had for women in the workplace? You know, it's interesting because it was not my first choice of a title. As often happens when you write a book, you sell the book and you have a working title, but the publisher reserves the right to change the title. And my working title for Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office was Quit Being a Girl. Because that's what I used to tell my clients, my female clients. I used to say, you know, when you act in this way, you're acting like the nice little girl you were taught to be in childhood. So quit being a girl and start being an adult woman. So in their infinite wisdom, they're now Hachette Publishers changed the title to Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. I hated the title. I said, you realize I'm going to spend the rest of my life saying that you can be nice and you can get your goals met. And sure enough, I've had many people come up to me and say, you know, I didn't buy your book because I thought you were going to tell me I had to be more like a man. And that was what I was afraid of. But at the same time, it did capture people's imagination. Because the fact is, is that you can't be 
the nice little girl you were taught to be in childhood, whether it's about career, communication, finances, expect to achieve your goals in those arenas. Because when you think about the messages that little girls get, it's usually about being seen and not heard, or boys won't like you if you're too smart, or you don't have to worry about getting rich because you're going to be taken care of anyway. And I know the messages are changing now, Jason. I know that many parents are now giving their little girls the right messages. But at the same time, as soon as they get to school or read a magazine or watch a movie... All bets are off because then they're getting conflicting messages, even now in 2020. And actually, you you say this, and I remember seeing this post on social media, which was showing a boys magazine and a girls magazine. It was kind of aimed towards the preteen type of audience. And on the boys magazine, you saw that it was saying like, become an astronaut, science, engineer, where do you want to go to college, sports? Those were the big titles in that magazine. And this was a very big publication. And on the women's magazine, it was all about like how to look your best. And it was very gender biased, like all the stereotypes you would think. You've seen the trends that are changing. There's a lot more equality, but you would see at this preteen level, these magazines were still reinforcing these things about girls should stay nice little girls. What impact has this had in the workplace when, as you say, girls don't step up into being the woman that they can be, but stay as these nice little girls? Yeah, I think the workplace suffers. And not just the workplace. If you look around the world, the world suffers, whether it's in politics or nonprofit organizations, corporations, they suffer because they don't have all of the robust voices that are necessary to make good, informed decisions at the table. If you don't have an array of women in leadership positions, you don't have the diversity that's essential to make good decisions. What we know is that when it comes to decision-making, the more diversity you have, the better decision you wind up getting. And so, you know, I always wind up having to explain that I'm not saying that women make better leaders or better employees. I'm saying they make different ones and that you need to have all of the voices at the table. And I'd love to talk about why is it that there's this natural bias that actually makes it so that men seem to be the ones thriving in the workplace? And like, why is it that men seem to adapt so well within these leadership positions and actually become the catalysts that seem to drown out the voices? Is it a natural way that men tend to behave that is more competitive? Like what's going on here? Well, men are definitely more competitive because they grow up having more of a sense of entitlement. I mean, the expectation is, like you said, on the cover of magazines, you're going to grow up and you're going to be an engineer, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be this, you're going to be that, right? And so there is that sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to be at this table where girls don't always get that message. So it makes it harder for them to compete. Now, it's interesting because just yesterday I was doing a keynote over at, well, what was Nestle because they've been acquired by a French candy company now. But I was over there and I was doing a keynote with women. And they were saying that it just seems like the taller you are, the deeper your voice, the more likely you are to succeed. And it's true. If you think about presidential candidates, it's almost always the taller candidate who wins, you know, the deeper voice that gets heard. So when you ask, you know, why does this happen? There's social reasons, there's physical reasons, right? And then there's the reasons what, you know, I call the self-sabotaging behaviors. And those are the ones that women place on themselves, that fear that if I do speak up, 
I'm going to get called pushy. I'm going to get called a bitch. I'm going to get called all these other names that they don't want to be called. So women are hesitant to speak up and stand out. I'm not saying that you don't have good reasons. What I'm saying is you don't have a choice. You either stay in the background and don't get your needs met, or you take a risk and you put it out there and at least have a chance of getting your needs met. Mm. I think that perception of risk actually holds a lot of people back. And I think also, you mentioned earlier in the interview, there's this school of thought that says, oh, the women need to behave more like men to fit in. How do we debunk this? And what are the characteristics that women can embody to really get to stand out and take that risk without necessarily compromising on what they hold dear? Yeah, very good point that it is not at all about being more like men. There was a seminal piece, an article that was written in the Harvard Business Review. This had to be 20 years ago, and it was by Judith Rosner. And she talked about getting away from this fitting in myth, you know, because women are never going to fit in if they have to be like men, right? And so it's really about understanding that what it takes to be successful in 2020 and beyond is exactly the characteristics that women bring into play. Because we've reached a place in the workplace and society where we no longer respect top-down authority, right? It's what, you know, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, you know, I know that I've probably got a couple of decades on you. And I know when I was in the workplace and my boss said, jump, I said, how high? Now, I know you're self-employed, but you may have been employed by someone else at one time. Actually, I am not self-employed. I'm an employee of Mind Valley, And so we're an organization about 300 people. And fact is, is we've been making a lot of active efforts to break down the walls, to break down the hierarchy, and to be very innovative in the way that we operate. But the matter of fact that you'd assume that I'm self-employed is a testament to the innovations that we do because we give a lot of our employees liberty. We give them opportunities to be entrepreneurial and we let them work remotely. Oh, thank you for enlightening me because absolutely, and you're right, that's why I thought you were self-employed because you really treated this, our whole engagement here as if it was a personal enterprise. And isn't that what we want all employees to do? Right? But going back to that then, let me just say, if who's ever at the helm of Mind Valley were to ask you to jump, what would you say? I would ask why. Exactly. So whereas people my generation say how high, people your generation say why. Now, this is really the erosion of the masculine model of authority because the masculine model is top down. The feminine model is bottom up or sometimes midway out. So women really bring to the workplace now into leadership roles, skills that are critical to motivating and retaining and training today's workforce. Something else that women bring I think into the workplace, into play, is this whole notion of emotional intelligence. What we know now is that emotional intelligence is the sine qua non for leadership. Right? It's the sine qua non for success. We all know people who are really smart, really capable, but they're not getting anywhere because they're not emotionally intelligent. Well, according to some theories, women exceed men in four out of five facets of emotional intelligence. So the five facets, just quickly, because usually that's what people ask, are self-awareness, self-regulation, self-motivation, empathy, and social skills. And that women exceed men in all of those except self-motivation, where women and men are actually kind of equal. So, you know, a lot of times when I was coaching, and I was coaching men, 
they would say to me, I got sent to you to learn the soft skills. And I would always say, they're so soft. What makes them so hard for you? And when they were talking about soft skills, it really was about emotional intelligence. So I'm not trying to say women are better than men in any way. I'm saying that you must always be either a leader or competitive for your time. And we have reached a time where we have workers, employees, we have citizens who expect you to care about them. And when you don't, they're not going to care about you. So I think this is a place where women can learn from men a lot about how to communicate more clearly, how to be more competitive, how to negotiate. And men can learn from women about how to build the kind of relationships that are going to work for you in the long run. I love that this is the question of balance and diversity. And this is really important for those who are feeling defensive about seeing this as a competitive. And again, as a man, I think tend to th see things more like as a threat response. And it's not the case at all. If anything, like you've said, you're bringing these qualities that are more essential than ever. I think it's a question of survival for the companies to bring these different perspectives, to bring this balance that is all around the emotional intelligence, to let the organization grow and attract top talent. They need to get away from this whole top-down approach. And I'd love to give a space here. Let's say for men listening to the show right now, I feel like some, and even myself, I'd say sometimes I have issues not even recognizing my own judgments and biases when it comes to working with women in the workplaces and the different ways that I need to work with them. And so I'd love to see what would be essential things for me to know and to take into consideration in the workplace to make sure that a woman that is thriving for leadership, that I'm not having my biases come into play, that would hold back from creating this balance in the workplace? I have two ways to answer that. One is there's three things to stop doing and there's one thing to start doing. And the thing to start doing is being a better listener. That's one thing that women do really well. And I think men could do it better. Men listen differently. Men are listening for what's the key point here, right? Just get to the bottom line. That's what men want. And frankly, that's what I coach women to do, to get to the bottom line sooner if you want to communicate effectively with a man, right? But for men, they need to listen for the meta messages, what's not being said. What is some of the emotion and the feelings behind this? They need to ask more questions. They need to suspend judgment and really delve deeply into, gee, what am I not getting here? Or what am I not seeing here? Or what could I learn here? So if there was one thing I think that men could do more of, it would be really actively listening. If there were three things I'd like to see them stop, because it's three things that really annoy women, it's appropriating, man-terrupting, and mansplaining. <laughs> and appropriating is when a woman puts out an idea, and I don't think men do this consciously. I I'm not saying they do it consciously, but a woman puts out an idea and she may not put it out with the full force that it deserves behind it. And so a man will pick it up and kind of suggest that it's his own. So if I were to say kind of meekly like, you know, Jason, maybe we could do X, Y, Z. You might wait a minute and then say, you know what we really should be doing is X, Y, Z right? Because I, first of all, I didn't put it out there forcefully enough. I put it out there as a question and it may not even have impacted you in some ways that I put out a good idea. So appropriating is when a man takes a woman's idea as his own. Mansplaining is when a man feels the need to explain things to women that they already know or that they already should know, 
right? It's having that sense of superiority that only a man could know this or I would know better. I see this happen a lot in technical fields, technical, medical, engineering, where men assume women don't know as much as they do. If I could just tell a a short story here, there was a scientist who was a man and he always made presentations at scientific conferences. He went through a gender reassignment and became a woman, okay? Made a presentation at a scientific conference a couple years later, and she overheard someone say, you know, she's not as good as her husband. The assumption was, because she had the same last name, which was an unusual last name, that that was her husband. People who didn't know she went through gender reassignment And that's just a good example of how we stereotype people. And the last one is man-interrupting. And, you know, again, research shows that men interrupt women far more than women interrupt men. I don't remember the precise statistics, but even on the Supreme Court, I think they did a study and the male Supreme Court justices interrupted the female Supreme Court justices about 34% of the time. The female Supreme Court justices only interrupted about 6% of the time. So it happens everywhere. So to answer your question, That's what I would start doing. That's what I would stop doing. Those are very prescriptive things to do. And I think if we stop and we start being more attentive to how our own behaviors are happening this way, just to catch, have that awareness that these are three things that we may be doing consciously or unconsciously to really catch yourself, stop doing those things. And even I would suggest like when I hear this, I would want to go to my female colleagues. And matter of fact, all my colleagues and just say like, hey, these are three things I want to work on to be a better leader is to actually stop, like make sure I always give proper credit. And I know this is something I've personally always felt was always something that needed to be done explicitly is always make sure like to highlight somebody who made a point and just be like, hey, this person just said something. Cause like I've had board meetings where I've heard someone kind of whisper that it would typically end up being women would kind of whisper a good idea. And as these strong personalities were kind of battling it out. And I have to say, I do have a very strong personality and a loud voice. And so I would go and say like, hey guys, hold on. I think there's something great over here. And I would kind of give that space to the person. So would these be examples of how I can step into being a better leader, especially for recognizing women in the workplace? Yeah, exactly. I think when I used to teach leadership classes to both men and women, you know, I would say the more power you have, the more you give away. Because the fact is, again, as a team leader, you want to create synergy, Because it's when synergistic discussions take place where one plus one doesn't equal two, it equals exponentially more. So exactly, you can do that. Also, you can amplify what other people say. And this is something that actually it was the term amplification, I I think, was coined in the Obama White House because he had a lot of women around the table. And what they noticed was they would put ideas out and a man would, would steal it or take it. And so the women all decided, what we're going to do is we're going to amplify what other women say. So Lois, if you say something, Jill over here is going to say, Lois, great idea. Here's why I agree with that. And then another woman will jump on with it. Now, men can do the exact same thing for women, because if you're really listening and you think it's a good idea, but see, it requires the listening. And that's why I started with listening. If you really listen to someone and they have a great idea, affirm it. It doesn't take a thing away from you. As a matter of fact, it makes you look like the bigger person. Now, and if I can just say, because again, I never want men to walk away from a podcast 
podcast like this thinking that I'm saying they have to change. I'm saying women have to change too. I'm saying I know women don't get to the bottom line soon enough. I know women aren't always linear enough thinkers. I know women often provide way too much detail than is necessary for the situation. So there's plenty of things that women need to do differently also. I'm not saying they need to be more like men. I'm just saying they need to communicate in ways that really showcases their ideas. There's a Chinese curse. May you have a wonderful idea and not be able to convince anyone of it. And nobody should suffer from that Chinese curse. (laughs) I love that idea. And yeah, I do know that there's some work to be done on both sides. And what I want to make sure is that for men listening here is really take responsibility for your part to play as we both have a big part to play in making the workplace a better place. So listen more actively, make sure you're not mansplaining, make sure you're not interrupting or appropriating. These are big things that can happen in the workplace. And if you become a better listener, these things you'll naturally notice that you might be doing, develop that patience and really you'll become a better leader and then you'll have that better balance in the workplace. And now I want to turn it over to the women listening into the podcast. So we've talked about getting to the point more effectively, sending less details. So can you give us a bit more of ideas or what are the ways that women can step into their womanhood and really stand out in the workplace? Yeah, there's two or three things that I recommend here as well. And the first one is to use headline communication. That headline communication suggests that the most important thing out of my mouth should be the first thing. Too often women use preambles. So they give a lot of reason and rationale before they get to the point and men have tuned out. They're not listening anymore. And a lot of times I don't blame them because I don't like when people use a lot of preambles either. So the first thing is use your headline. The first thing out of your mouth, the most important thing you want someone to remember, especially if you were interrupted. The second thing is you give two or three supporting pieces of data or two or three examples. And I'm going to put this together and show how it works in a second. And the third thing that men don't have to do, but women do, is use a tagline. Because when women put it out too assertively, that's when they get shut down. People feel as if they're too strident or they're overly confident or whatever. We expect women in our society to care what other people think. And so you need to put a little bit of that in there, but not up front. If you put it in up front you say to people, like, what do you think we should do about this, right? Well, that's not the way to do it because then people will give you ideas and you won't have the opportunity to put your idea out clearly because it'll look like you're in a spitting match. Okay, so let me put it together for you. Let's just say that I come into your company, I come into Mind Valley, and I say, I really suggest, I advise you to start employee affinity groups, Affinity groups are groups of employees who have similar challenges, whether they're African-American, Latino, female, gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, affinity groups. I say that for three reasons. Number one, affinity groups are a way to attract employees to your company because they know that you care about who they are. Number two, affinity groups provide opportunities for you to train employees because within these groups, you can provide messages. And the third thing is affinity groups really do encourage them to solve some of the company's greatest challenges. Now you can hear I feel strongly about that, Jason. I'm wondering what you think. Mm -hmm. That's how to get my point out 
clearly, concisely, using, if I had data at my fingertips, I would have used the data, and also show that I care about what you think. Or another tagline might be, Jason, do you see any reason why I shouldn't get started on this? Right? That's even more assertive. So I, I like this, but I'm almost curious as to why shouldn't men use that? Because that seems just like a very effective way to communicate. Men do. They kind of naturally often use the headline and the three pieces of supporting information. They often don't use the tagline because they don't have to. Because they actually sound more assertive and more confident when they don't use the tagline. See, women and men, there's different rules for communicating with women and men. I cannot get away with communicating like you do, Jason. Because we don't like women who communicate like men, and we don't like men who communicate like women. And so there's different rules, and it's about learning how to play by the rules, but play absolutely up to your personal best. So that's really what all my books do. When you said it was prescriptive, how I said, here's something that men can do, all my books are prescriptive. They're not theoretical. They talk about a challenge and here's how to meet it. And the same thing with the new book, Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out. It really speaks about almost a hundred scenarios in which you need to communicate clearly. And I'll tell you, the producer who was in the studio with me as I recorded it, because it's only an audiobook, it is not going to be in print because I feel like people have to hear this. He said to me, you know, this book isn't only for women. Men would get a lot out of this book too. I said, yeah, but the problem is men often don't buy self-help books. So, so it's like, you know, you gear it to who's going to buy it. Fair enough. And I think that's really interesting of perspective. And I wanted to ask a bit of this debate between how much is the balance of what we need to do, both as men and as women, to play by the rules that are set into the workspace right now and make it the most effective. So, you know, take into consideration that as a man, I shouldn't use the tagline, but as a woman, I should. And all these subtleties that I'm sure you probably go much deeper into the the book is how much should we play by the rules versus how much should we be advocating to trying to change those rules? And should we? You ask a question that so many women in particular ask me. Men hardly ever do, which now I love you for that. (laughs) But every workplace is a playing field. There's rules, boundaries, strategies. You know, at Mindvalley, you've already told me that they want you to be more entrepreneurial, right? That they want you to take the ball and they want you to run with it. Well, if you do that, at another company, you're going to get called out of bounds. So you can't take what you learned here, go to another company and assume it's going to work because it may not. The real trick is to understand what is the corporate culture? What are the values on this playing field? And then you have to play to those rules. Now, with that said, I think women play too often in the middle of the field so that they're not stretching the boundaries. The tips that I give to women about, you know, using bottom line communication, how to handle appropriating, how to handle mansplaining, those tips that I give are designed to stretch the boundaries. And there's so many factors that go into it because if you're 21 years old, just out of college, and you go to, let's just say, a professional services firm like McKinsey, and you try to break too many rules, you're going to get called out. But if I play by the rules, because I like this culture, I like what I'm getting paid, I like my work, the longer you're there, that gives you the right to start to change the rules. So I think, again, there's so many factors that go into, can I change the rules? Absolutely. 
Is it the right time for you? Is it the right culture for you? Are you the right person to do it? Have you earned your stripes? So there's a lot that goes into it. Love it. And then obviously I like the fact that you know, it's true. Every single company has different cultures. And then when you play within that culture, I would assume that you need to decide if this is even a culture you want to play in and if there is potential for you to shift it in the direction that you feel it should go as well. Yes, absolutely. And I would just like to say something here about black women, right? I'm sure you have black women who are listening right now. And we don't talk enough about the fact that their playing fields are artificially narrowed, especially in the area of communication. And so I've often been asked to come in and coach black women because they'll tell me, you know, she's an angry black woman, right? Black women know this phrase because when I do keynotes and I say, what do they call you when you're assertive? They all say angry black woman. And when I get in there, I realize they are not angry black women. They are self-confident and articulate and they're willing to put it out there clearly and they get called angry. So we really need to take a look at it from so many different standpoints because a lot of times I've coached those women and said, this isn't the right playing field for you. They're going to see you as an angry black woman no matter what you do because it's a culture that does not like people to really speak up and step out of bounds. And as a black woman, when you do that, it's magnified. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to tell, I don't care if you're a black woman or a Caucasian man or a Latino man, to say you might have to find another playing field that's better suited to you. Because Jason, if I picked you up and I put you, I'm just going to say in the defense industry, which tends to be really pretty rigidly defined, you would not be happy. Could I coach you how to be successful there? Yeah, I could coach you what to do. Would you want to do it? No. And so it would be the wrong field for you. Mm, I love that. So you have choices. You need to be aware of those choices. You need to make fit to your style and where you can actually thrive within the workplace, regardless of who you are. And I realized, Lois, I ask a question being a man that I had my own curiosities. And I just think back of a time that I was in a board meeting and I was the guilty one. Like I've cut off women, obviously. I think we've all done that. And I remember having one of my colleagues, they were deeply mad against me. And I actually took a moment to step aside and have a conversation with them to apologize because I realized what I had done. And I think it would be really cool if we could actually talk about what do we do if I am a woman and I get cut off, this man cut off event happens. Can you give us that practical tip that a woman can do in the case that this happens so that you can step out of it being more empowered? Yeah, I'm going to give you actually two separate tips. One is if it happens occasionally, right? Or I'm in a meeting and I don't really know who you are or I don't meet with you often and you cut me off. And what I can just do is very nice. Say, Jason, hang on, hang on, hang on. I wasn't quite finished. Let me finish. I'll toss it back to you. We need to be willing to interrupt the interrupter, right? Or maybe let you finish what you're saying and then say, you know, before we go any further, I hadn't quite finished my thought. So let me finish it and then we'll pick it up from there. So that's what you can do with someone who doesn't do it regularly to you. Now, with someone who does, this is another tip that I have in the book. You need to have a conversation with them about how these interruptions impact you. There's something in the book, there's a model in the book that's called the desk script, D-E-S-C. And it stands for describe what I want to talk to you about, explain what my concern is, and 
elicit from you your side of it. The S stands for specify what I want. And the C stands for create consequences, D-E-S-C, right? So the way that it would sound is just simply like this. It would be, you know, Jason, I'd like to talk to you about what happens in meetings often that we're in together. What I've noticed is that before I finish a thought, your energy and your ideas and your mind work so quickly that I feel as if I'm cut off. And I don't know if you have noticed that. Now, it doesn't matter what you say back to me. You could say, no, I didn't and I'm sorry. Or you could say, I don't do that. I think you're just being too thin-skinned. It doesn't matter what you say back because I'm just going to listen to your response and I'm going to segue into this what I need. So it might be something, you say what you say, and then I say, okay, you know, I understand your viewpoint. Let me tell you what would really work for me. What would really work is if you would listen carefully to what I'm saying and just let me finish my thought. What would be even better is if you picked up on my thought and either supported it or discussed how that idea could be even better. And the C is, and I think if you could do that with me, we would make like a really terrific team here and really add a lot of value. That's how you have a difficult discussion and that's how you advocate for yourself. I love it. This is such a powerful technique that people can use if you are feeling that in the workplace there is that certain individual that keeps doing these transgressions so that you don't let it linger, you handle it. And in the case that the person just decides, like, does it happen that the person would be like, oh, I don't want to hear any of this? Like, what do you do then? You can't change someone's behavior. That's not up to you. Only they can change the behavior. You can have the conversation again and the consequence can be negative. Right? You could say, you know, Jason, we've talked about this before. I've asked you for what I needed. I still am feeling cut off. And if it continues to happen, I can only tell you that, you know, I'm not going to want to be in meetings where we're both present. And I really think that that would be a shame. Okay. Because I don't have control over your behavior, I only have control over mine. I think that's powerful. And then giving that escalation can actually give you some path to follow if you see the transgression continues. Lois, thank you so much for spending the time where we covered a ton of content and a lot of practical things that people can apply both for men and for women. And for everybody listening here, what we've talked about is really how women bring their own uniqueness in the workplace when they show up fully as a woman and not as a little girl, as was explained earlier in the interview. And what that means is not you need to become like men. You need to step into your own greatness in your own way because the diversity brings progress in the company. Companies that are actually seeing the trend that collaboration is really rising and these what we would call quote unquote feminine values are really allowing companies to have more innovation, more profit, more growth, and these kind of highly hierarchical, top-down, controlling type of organizations are not keeping pace with these progress of innovation. They're actually not having the full perspective. They're missing out on half the population's perspective here if you're not creating a space where both men and women can thrive within especially these leadership positions. And so as men, what can we do? Listen more. Reduce the complaining, reduce the interrupting, and stop appropriating the things that are being brought up by women as your own and recognize when you're transgressing and start paying attention to make changes in yourself. And as a woman, we've talked about how you can do headline communication and really learning how to communicate more effectively, really stating your main point first, three cases, and then adding the tag. This is one of the differences that exist for women where you add the tag, where you toss it back to make sure that you don't get these labels that are often being unjustly added, which are things such as too aggressive, too angry, or the B word. And so finally, we also talked about what happens if you are in a workplace and you notice a man that is 
constantly interrupting you, which is probably one of the most frustrating thing for women in the workplace is really take this approach, the desk where you actually go and you describe what's happening, explain how it makes you feel, listen to their perspective, and then look at painting that picture of what would happen if you start working better. And if the changes aren't happening, maybe add more of those consequences that are on the negative side so that you can really create a healthier workplace where both men and women get to thrive and really push the impact of the company with more harmony and more impact. Lois, Thank you so much for being here and everybody listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this amazing interview with Dr. Lois Frankel. And if you haven't picked up her book, Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out, it is available audio only. You need to listen to those stories, see how it can help you make better communication in the workplace and do a whole lot of things that will support you being a better woman in the workplace. And for men listening, definitely apply these techniques and do your part in taking responsibility on making that workplace better for both genders. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and let us know what are points that you particularly liked and do share this with other colleagues or friends that you know would benefit from listening to this episode. This is Jason Campbell. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, take care. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.